Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, this episode is going to be for Exodus chapter 1. Now to begin with, I want to read an introduction to the book of Exodus here so we can get a framework and a context of what we're going to be talking about for the next few days or next few episodes. The theme of the book of Exodus is the commencement of Israel as a covenant nation. It relates how God fulfilled his ancient promise to Abraham by multiplying his descendants into a great nation, redeeming them from the land of bondage and renewing the covenant of grace with them on a national basis. That was by Gleason Archer. It was indeed, as we now see it, most important that the children of Israel should have been brought into Egypt and settled there for centuries before becoming an independent nation. The early history of the sons of Jacob must have shown the need alike of their removal from contact with the people of Canaan and of their being fused in the furnace of affliction to prepare them for inheriting the land promised unto their fathers. This, however, might have taken place in any other country than Egypt. Not so, tra- not, so, not so their training for a nation. For that, Egypt offered the best, or rather at the time, the only suitable opportunities. True, the stay there involved also peculiar dangers, as their after history proved. But these would have been equally encountered under any other circumstances, while the benefits they derived through intercourse with the Egyptians were peculiar and unique. There is yet another aspect of the matter. When standing before King Agrippa, St. Paul could confidently appeal to the publicity of the history of Christ as enacted not in some obscure corner of a, bar, of a, barbarous, a barbarous land, but in full view of the Roman world. For this thing was not done in a corner. And so Israel's bondage also and God's marvelous deliverance took place on no less conspicuous a scene than that of, an, of, an, of the ancient world empire of Egypt. And that was by Alfred Edersheim. I'll have a lot of quotes from Alfred Edersheim. He's a really good scholar of the Bible. He's just amazing. There's a period of about 150 years between Genesis and Exodus with no information about Israel in the scriptures, except that they have grown into a large body of people. We have evidence that they had acquired most of the arts and industries of ancient Egypt. The preparation of the various materials for the tabernacle, as well as its construction, imply this. Again, we have such direct statements as, for example, that some of the families of Judah were carpenters, weavers of fine Egyptian linen, and potters. These must, of course, be regarded as only instances of the various trades learned in Egypt. Nor was the separation between Israel and the Egyptians such as to amount to isolation. Goshen would, of course, be chiefly but not exclusively inhabited by Israelites. These would mingle even in the agricultural districts, but naturally much more in the towns with their Egyptian neighbors. Accordingly, if needed, the paschal provision of the blood to distinguish the houses of the Israelites from those of the Egyptians. While Exodus 3.22 seems to imply that they were not only neighbors, but perhaps occasionally residents in the same houses. This also accounts for the mixed multitude that accompanied Israel at the Exodus and later on in the wilderness for the presence in the congregation of offspring from marriages between Jewish women and Egyptian husbands. Again, that was by Alfred Edersheim. All right, here we go. Verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. 
and in the Hebrew, into Egypt with Jacob. Every man according to his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. How many people were there in Israel's family when they came to Egypt and Joseph? About seventy. Abraham was promised that his posterity would become a great nation. In order to do that, Israel's family had to have a place to live undisturbed. Palestine was a battleground for warring nations that moved back and forth in their conquests between the Nile and the Euphrates. Israel would have found no peace there. Verse 6, And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all, this, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the, and the land was filled with them. In order for Jacob's family to grow large, it needed a peaceful place to do that. Egypt served as that peaceful place. Verse 8, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. How was it possible that Joseph, a, Sem- a Semitic person, could become ruler in Egypt? The Egyptians had been overthrown by a Semitic group, the Hyksos people. Verse 9, And he said unto, unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Why was it a good thing that the Egyptians hated the Israelites? The hatred they felt for the Israelites prevented intermarriages with the Hebrews. The length of their servitude faced Jacob's people and fused Jacob's people into a united people. To reap the blessings of the Abrahamic promises, Israel had to remain a pure race, and the Lord used this means to achieve it. Is there anything similar in the in the history of the church today? In early church history, those who were not members of the church hated those who were, so they would not associate with us. How hard it is, how hard is it for us to remain a pure people, or is the requirement the same for us today? Because we are more generally accepted today, it is easy for members to associate with non-members than even to marry outside the covenant. Verse ten. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest we multiply and it come and it come to pass, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when when there falleth out or breaketh out or breaks out happens or any war they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure treasure cities. In Hebrew, the storage cities or granaries, Pithom and Ramses, or Ramses Zoan, also the former Hyksos capital, Avaris or Tanis of Joseph's time. Verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved or apprehensive of because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage or, or labor in mortar and and in brick and in all manner of service in the field, all their service, wherein they made them serve, was with vigor, was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the the same, or which, I'll start over. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other Puah. And he said, When ye do the office, or serve as of a, of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, or birth stools. If it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. The Pharaoh, or leaders of Egypt, may have had Joseph's prophecy of a leader that will lead out the Israelites from Egypt, named Moses. 
Verse 17, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men, chi- men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, or revered God, that he made them house that he made them houses, or households, or descendants. Pharaoh commanded the midwives to kill all male babies. What did they do? What lesson do we learn that can help us today? What should what we should not obey wicked laws? Verse 22, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. By putting Moses into the basket upon the river kept the commandment, by casting the males into the river. Did the Egyptians know about Moses, about Moses' mission before he was born? Lehi taught his children the prophecies of Joseph, which were contained on the brass plates. What are two of the significant prophecies given by Joseph that were taken out of the Old Testament but were restored in the Joseph Smith translation version of Genesis chapter 50? Is it possible that the leaders of Egypt knew about Joseph's prophecy about Moses? Most likely. While the affairs of the Egyptians were in this condition, bondage, there was this occasion offered itself to the Egyptians which made them more solicitous for the extinction of our nation. One of those sacred scribes who were who are very sagacious in foretelling future events truly told the king that about this time there would be a child born to the Israelites who, if he were reared, would bring the Egyptian, Egyptian dominion low and would raise the Israelites that he would excel all men in virtue and obtain a glory that would be remembered through all ages. Which thing was so feared by the king that according to this man's opinion he commanded that they should carry every man-child which was born to the Israelites into the river and destroy it? He enjoined also that if any person should disobey him and venture to save their male children alive, they and their families should be destroyed. That was by Flavius Josephus. Another collection of Jewish legends gives a similar prediction. A son will, will be born unto Israel, who will destroy the whole of our land and all its inhabitants, and he will bring forth the Israelites from Egypt with a mighty hand. And that was by Lewis Ginsburg. I bear testimony that these things are true, and that as we study the Old Testament, we'll gain a greater insight into uh, what's going on here. I hope you'll come back each episode. See you next time. Bye.